This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we're talking with award-winning journalist Chris Farrell. He literally wrote the book on unretirement. Chris writes and talks about financial management and the economy for places like Money.com, Bloomberg, and Next Avenue, as well as the Minneapolis Star Tribune and Minnesota Public Radio. His book is Unretirement, How Baby Boomers Are Changing the Way We Think About Work, Community, and the Good Life. When his book came out a few years ago, it was hailed as good news and a a breath of fresh air after years of gloomy reports that baby boomers were going to bleed the economy dry and so forth. Chris wrote about how many older people are actually bolstering the economy by continuing to work, by starting new businesses, and by volunteering vital services. Chris will talk with us about what retirement used to be and how much is changing for the better. Chris, I, I love your book, Unretirement, How Baby Boomers Are Changing the Way We Think About Work, Community, and the Good Life. Well, thank you very much. You know, one of the things I, I thought was so helpful about the book is, is that it gives really good history. People perhaps don't realize that the 1950s um, Madison Avenue version of retirement isn't really that old and probably never was sustainable. Do you want to give us a little bit about that history? Well, if you think about most of history, and we'll just look at the U.S., retirement largely meant you worked until you died. There was no Social Security. There were very few pensions, no such thing as a 401k. And so most people worked until they died or a couple years before they died, reliant on families ease into their final years of life. And so retirement as we think of it, the moving to Florida, Arizona, California, and embracing leisure, full-time leisure in the 1950s, 1960s, that was the first time in US history that really a majority of Americans could imagine embracing leisure for the rest of their life. That was something that was only available to the rich until the 1950s and 1960s. And the reason why it happened was you had 1935 Social Security, 1965 Medicare and Medicaid. And then in the post-World War II era, a lot of your bigger companies uh, offered their employees pensions, the traditional pension, the one that rewards you for length of service uh, at a company and then your final five years or a couple years of pay. Cheap land in Florida, cheap land in Arizona, uh, cheap land in parts of Southern California. And so people could leave the Northeast and the Midwest and move South and they could, as one um, ad that I watched is absolutely fascinating, it's on YouTube and it's a half hour ad broken into two 15 minutes. And what the the, the ad said is moving to Sun City is like living in a country club for the rest of your life. Oh, what a vision. 
It was, and there had never been anything like that in society. It was only available to the rich. So it was an incredible moment, and uh, an industry really grew around it. There's this uh, wonderful story told by Mark Friedman in his book about Sun City and, and the founding of Sun City. And one of the difficulties there was, and I had never thought about this, there was reluctance among financial services institutions to put 30-year mortgages on homes that you were selling to people in their 60s. And... Del Rey, who's the founder of it, convinced some lenders to do so. Of course, now we don't even think about yeah. it. But what the industry managed to do is that this whole real estate development, financial services, uh, leisure, the RV industry. I mean, it really did transform much of American society. It's incredibly powerful. One of my, uh, I used to watch with my parents, Seinfeld. And my parents had no interest moving to Florida, no interest uh, living in a retirement community, but we could watch Seinfeld and could watch him go down and visit his parents and his uncles in a retirement community, and we understood exactly what was going on. So it's really a remarkable change in our history. It was, for a while, it was part of the American dream. And for some people, I guess it really did, well, a lot of people, it really did come true because the economy allowed it but it's not it's not going to be the future for most of us and what you talked about and I loved your term unretirement is something quite different it's not life in the you know on the golf course it's not life in leisure uh, homes what is unretirement going to look like and what are people who are now maybe in their 50s or 60s or even 70s what are they thinking about for the next years you know, for a long time, and you remember this in the 80s and 90s, you know, the question when we talked about um, retirement was always, what's my number? Do I have enough savings in order to live just the life that you were talking about, this life of leisure? And now the question that people are asking is, what's next? What comes next? It's not about retirement in the sense of leisure. It's about transition in making a transition. And so I call it unretirement. And it's about working well into the traditional retirement years. Now, one thing to make really clear, this isn't about, you know, I'm going to work 10 more years being told to do more with less and being paid for a 40-hour work week, way more like putting in 50, 60 hours. That's not what's being discussed here. But what People have learned, you know, we talked about earlier about this remarkable shift in society that so many people could embrace leisure in the last third of life, something that really never existed before. Well, that's been around now and we're living longer, we're healthier, we're better educated. And what people are learning is, you know what, all this skill, all this knowledge that I've gained over the years the notion that I just reached some arbitrary age, 60, 62, 65, and I walk away from all that skill, all that knowledge, all that experience for the rest of my life, I don't like that. That's not what I want to do. And so we're talking about unretirement, about finding meaning and money in this last stage of life, still being useful and still being productive and still offering to society, but again, doing something that you want to be doing. 
I think you just summed up what just about everybody I've been talking to is looking for. I don't know many people who like the idea of, of life on the golf course. People who've had interesting careers want to keep on having interesting lives. Yes. And, they, and, and you know, if you think about it, what do we all want to be? We all want to be useful in some way, right? We want to be helpful in some way. One of the ways that we're useful and helpful is to tap into our knowledge and our experience in whether it's mentoring young people in an organization, helping someone start a company, or just being a steady presence in an organization. There's a lot of value to that. There's something else. It's when you have a, a, a nest egg, when you have maybe um, some kind of safety net, it's possible to start taking risks that you never took before. One of the trends I find so fascinating is what you call third age entrepreneurship. It's uh, starting a business is not just for young people anymore. Do you want to tell us about some of the trends you're seeing there with entrepreneurship? So this is one of the big surprises, at least for me, and I think actually for a lot of my colleagues, because when I started reporting on this topic uh, years ago, you know, the notion about starting a small business in your 50s and 60s and even 70s, you know, that was crazy. You're going to be risking your 401k. You're going to be working 24-7. You can't do that. And what we've learned is that this image of entrepreneurship is deeply wrong. And this fascinating figure that comes from the Kaufman Foundation, that more than 25%, so a quarter of all new businesses, are started by the 55 to 64-year-old age group. And then if you look at self-employment, it's the 65-plus group that's the largest group of self-employed. So what is going on here? Part of it is, you have again, you have this skill and this knowledge. Well, you start a small business based on your skill and your knowledge. Your office is probably your home and you probably own your home. And then the internet and the mobile technologies, they've made things cheaper to start a business, to do a little bit of experimentation. A lot of these businesses may be lifestyle businesses. And so you're not risking your savings. You're not risking your 401k. And by the way, you're continuing to work and you don't have to deal with the human resources department and all their ages stereotypes because you have a skill to sell into the marketplace. And so this is one of the most exciting trends, entrepreneurship in the second half of life. Well, it does sound exciting. And I've done it. I've, lots of people I know are doing it. Many of my coaching clients are thinking about moving in that direction. But I know that although it sounds exciting and interesting and it's often successful, it's also daunting when you first start, sure. start thinking about it. Um, no matter what your age, uh, the idea of starting a business is a little bit scary. And I think there's special questions for folks who are older. Are there resources developing to support all these entrepreneurs? So there are. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things about being uh, your own boss, right, which just sounds attractive, right? I'm my own boss, is you have to, you have to learn because so many people I know have gotten the trouble not setting aside money for taxes. You're not making that much money and a dollar comes in and you have to put a third of that aside uh, to pay taxes because your employer's not taking it out anymore and about social security, I mean, all those things and your bookkeeping and you gotta learn how to invoice and then how do you price your product? I mean, what? what how am I gonna sell my services? For many of us, these 
questions, these fundamental questions, they were done by our employers. They put a price on the products and services that, that we were selling. They took the withholding out so we didn't have to pay attention to it. And, you know, they would set it up for if we needed a new, uh, a new technology like WordPress, you know, they'd set up a training program for us. So, yes, it absolutely can be daunting in that sense. But there is a genuine ecology out there. It's in every, you know, uh, town and city with co-sharing workspaces, accelerators, incubators, small business development corporations. There's more than uh, a thousand around the co uh, the country housed mostly in universities. And the thing that's a little bit annoying is the marketing of these of this ecosystem, this entrepreneurial ecosystem. The marketing is toward a younger generation. But if you go into these organizations, half the people are 50 plus, 40 plus at least. Oh, that's so interesting. Isn't it? I mean, these co and I've gotten these co-sharing workspaces and some of them, yes, are, are definitely young. But here, there's one, uh, a large one here in uh, the old Minneapolis Grain Exchange spent time in there. I'd say half of them are, are over 50. And there's this growing realization. So yes, there is an ecosystem to take advantage of mentoring score, for example, senior core of retired executives can be a very good source of mentoring and it's volunteer their volunteers and uh, i know they've helped out a lot of people in terms of thinking about things like pricing and inventory and all that kind of thing so there are a lot of resources there are more resources there is an ecosystem developing and so i would place myself in that ecosystem to take advantage of the mentorship and the skill because i mean you and and you know this people have this image that entrepreneurs are these loners these yeah. are the people that can't work in an organization and the thing that i have learned is that the most helpful people are entrepreneurs even if you're in their business and you go to an entrepreneur and you say i don't know how to price my product now, you're, they're in your business. They'll tell you how to price your product. They will give you good advice. This is one of the most communal industries or activities that there is. Now, you have to be yourself. You have to reach out. You have to go to the meetings. You have to um, you know, talk to people. You have to do your research. But I think the entrepreneurial community loves, just the experienced entrepreneurial community, loves helping out supporting and nurturing new entrepreneurs. That's been my experience. It's 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 kind of part of the fun of being an entrepreneur because you yeah. can get together with other people who are doing really interesting things and, and learn from them. And everybody that I've come across has been generous. I can think of very few exceptions. But let me ask, Chris, you're talking about this enthusiastically. And my sense yeah. is that you started out as a successful but very traditional business journalist. And now it feels like you've put together a pretty varied portfolio of jobs and projects. Is, are you in a phase that you'd call on retirement? Or what have you learned from everything you've been writing about as you structure your own career? Well, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's about creating, um, what's the, what would be the expression, like a mosaic or... Portfolio. Uh, a portfolio. So you have these multiple streams. And I really enjoy that. Uh, 
and I get to, you know, in some things that I do, I get to do real economics, straightforward economics. Others is personal finance. Others just the kind of conversation that we're having right now. So I really enjoy that. The thing that I've dealt with, now, I, I don't know if you deal with this, but one of the advantages of being a journalist is you get to interview lots of people. And I'll talk to people who are you know, exploring, experimenting, you know, coming up with what's next, or they've they've come up with what's next, and you interview them, and it's it's exciting, and you know, even the you know, and I'm enthusiastic about this. I recognize that there's also a lot of failure along the way. There are disappointments along the way. You know, all of that is true. It's life, but these stories are incredible, and I'll walk away from the story and I'll go, I could do that. I could do that, that would be really fun. But what I really like doing is what I'm doing right now. So if this is my unretirement, I can do this for a long time. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University is having an impact today while providing innovative education for tomorrow's leaders. The master's program in public administration and environmental studies leads students to greatness in nonprofit, environmental, public sector, and government settings. Learn to lead at the Voinovich School. We're now accepting applications. Information is available at ohio.edu backslash school. There's, a, there's another trend out there that I think um, at first glance looks like it's totally different from unretirement in which you keep working at things you love and keep on having fun. And, and that's people who are maybe millennials. They're choosing to live simply, bank their money, and retire early. I, sometimes people call them uh, firewalkers, fire financial independence, retire early. And I was thinking at first, gosh, this is a totally different trend because it's people who do want to retire. But as I've looked at it, it feels like, no, it's the same thing. It's not about not working, unretirement, and I think firewalking too is often about putting together a combination of things that really um, can bring money, but also bring meaning and, and lots of other things in your life. Does that sound right to you? It sounds, I mean, the thing is, it's about, as one person said to me, freedom is a low overhead. So it's one of the things that's, that's a little bit off-putting or this this fire, this retire early, early retirement, you know, retire in your 40s. It really is a misnomer because what, what I think people are striving for is the freedom to do the kind of work that they want to be doing. And that may come with a lower income. Um, and that's okay. What people, I think, want to move away from is doing a job to pay the mortgage doing the job to pay for their children's college education. These are important things, and we all do that. But at the same time, you know, work is a big part of our lives. You want to be doing something that you have meaning, and you want to be able to have the freedom to say, this isn't working for me anymore. Might be a good employer. Might be a wonderful employer. Might be a great job. But 
it's no longer satisfying. You want to try something else. You want that freedom to walk out the door and try something else. So I think it's not about I don't want to work and it's not that work is bad and all I want to do is leisure. It's about I want to find those things that give me meaning and I don't want to be doing things that I don't want to be doing. I I think that makes a lot of sense to me. It's about engagement in all kinds of levels. But let me shift gears a little bit. One of the things that I, I liked about your book is it's so upbeat, not just about what this third age, some people call it, these later career years can be for individuals and how rewarding the phase can be, but also you have uh, addressed it, I think, as, as good news for the economy. What, How is this trend to taking control of your life going to turn into um, uh, good news for uh, the American economy generally? Right. So if you look at most economic forecasts, they're, 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 they're gloomy. I mean, we're going through, you know, economy's doing a little bit better right now. Uh, but most of the long-term forecasts are pretty gloomy. And the reason why they're gloomy is the aging of the population. And the basic image that most people work with is we're going to have too many of these elders, these non-productive, non-creative elders who are going to be supported by too few young people. And this is going to weigh on the economy. And I think that the research is really clear. Age is, is nothing more than a data point. It's just a chronology. And you can't go from age that people aren't creative, that they aren't productive, that they don't have something to contribute to society. In fact, what the research shows is you go to the exact opposite, that if you're creative in your 20s, you're going to be creative in your 40s. You're going to be creative in your 60s. If you are productive in your 20s and 30s, you can be productive in your 50s and 60s. And the research is completely overwhelming. So we're dealing with a lot of stereotypes. Now, one of the good things that's happening right now is we have this tight labor market. Every management out there is complaining that we can't find the skilled workers that we need. And what we are seeing is they're looking around and realizing we have a lot of skilled workers on our payroll. Now, rather than push them out the door, don't you want to retire? Uh, They're going to the workers and saying, what can we do to keep you on the payroll? Um, you want to work a few hours? What, what, let, let, let's negotiate some kind of a deal. So as more as we recognize with an aging population that they're creative, they're productive, and they have something to offer, they're going to pay more taxes, they're going to create more wealth, corporate profits are going to be bigger. And The thing is, a lot of people aren't going to want to work at the same company, do the same thing that they've been doing for 30 or 40 years, but they're going to want to continue to work. And by continuing to work, they're productive, they're creative, and they're innovative, and they're adding to our society. The trend of more flexibility, more options, companies finding different ways to, to keep older experts around, those are all really good news. And they're a change, I'm, I'm hoping, from what I've seen since about 2008, uh, which is in a tough economy, age discrimination seems to get worse and worse and worse. It is. I've, yes. I've been shocked by some of the stories I've heard and things I've seen in which yep. assumptions have been made about older workers as not being able to learn technology and all kinds of things. Do you feel like... Um, 
maybe that um, embedded age discrimination is changing as, as the demand for workers goes up? So I don't think that managements are all of a sudden enlightened or that they've rethought their stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I think it really comes down to a very simple calculus. We can give up profit in, in revenue, in business, or we can look at our experienced workers differently. And so in a sense, age discrimination is real, it's pervasive, and it's out there. The change is happening. And it is happening, it's happening because of this tight labor market. And the reason why so many people go into self-employment and entrepreneurship is age discrimination is much less of an issue. And so I don't want to dismiss age discrimination or say that it isn't real. I just think that we are in an environment where many managements are having to reevaluate their typical stereotypes because they're looking around for skilled bodies, for skilled workers, and for knowledge. And hopefully, that leads to greater enlightenment at some point. But right now, I think it's really a an economic calculus, not a, I was wrong in my approach or my attitude. So folks who have skills or who are willing to retool and go back and get skills have all kinds of opportunities that they might not have had. But the, the sad fact is that unretirement and late life work can strike some people uh, as, a, as a luxury. There, there are a lot of people who are still just getting by and they don't have that safety net and they don't have savings and our, our system leaves too many people out. Absolutely, way too many people out. Now, so if you, if you make you know, rough calculations and you cut these numbers different ways, but you figure about 20%, 25% of society, you know, they have a lot of skill, they have a lot of knowledge, they've had good careers, they have resources, and so unretirement is a natural step for them. You have you know, another large group of people, a larger group of people, for whom it's both a need and a want. They need to work longer. They don't have any choice but to work longer for whatever, for a variety of reasons. Usually it's because kids are expensive, by the way. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's not, you know, this image that people don't save or they, you know, they go to the mall, they can't resist the credit card. That's not why people don't have money. Usually the reason why people don't have money is kids are expensive and they want them to have a better life than they had. Okay. So they entered, they are entering into nearing the retirement years and they realize they have to work a couple of more years. And at the same time, though, they want to do something, again, that offers meaning. So it's both meaning and money as opposed to just need. And then there is a segment of the population, low income, never worked at a job that had an employer-sponsored retirement savings plan, never had worked at jobs that had employer-sponsored health insurance. And they are going to be largely reliant on Social Security and what they can bring in after that. My argument is is that if we take advantage of this underappreciated resource, the people who are aging, who want to continue to work and are able to work and can contribute to our society, we're wealthier. We'll be much wealthier. And then we can have a debate about the distribution of income for the people who did not have the kinds of careers that they would want to continue and they're living on very low incomes. That makes so much sense. People are a resource in that 
they can make a contribution, and there are many things that need to be done. Are, are there other societies um, other than the United States that have been doing this better in some way than we have, encouraging so people to be involved or giving them a safety net? Or I think the thing what you're seeing in, 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 in Europe, like in Sweden and in Denmark and in Germany and Switzerland, in our image, in our mind, we always they've had a richer social safety net, and you know, encourage early retirement or earlier retirement, and so we still have that image in mind, and we have actually, as a society in the U.S., we're doing really well on people working longer. We really are. The difference is that because northern, because Europe societies have, you know, universal health care. And they have universal retirement savings, and now they're creating uh, incentives for people to work longer. Their aging population is healthier than ours. I mean, if you really boil it down to, the fact that we don't have universal health care is really one of the biggest problems we have in this whole discussion that we're having about working longer. We do have a segment of the population that is not healthy, whereas in Europe you have a much larger segment of the population that is healthy because they've had access to healthcare throughout their work lives. So Europe, I actually think, has opportunities to encourage greater working lives, longer working lives with their population because they're starting out in a place where they have universal healthcare and universal retirement savings, whereas we've lagging behind because we have a segment of the population that never had access to either. So that makes so much sense. Now let's bring it back to the individual. What you said just pointed out that part of getting ready for later life careers and part of setting yourself up for taking advantage of all the opportunities is not just about saving your money and having an emergency fund. It's also about taking care of yourself and recognizing that you need to be healthy and you need to be fit. You need to be able to work, and that's part of planning for unretirement, isn't it? Just being fit in all kinds of of ways? In all kinds of ways and being engaged. And the most important thing, though, I think is nurturing, developing, appreciating your network. The most valuable asset that somebody in, let's just pick an age, age 60 has, their most valuable asset is their network. Because when you, you know, when you're 50 and over, you don't get a job, most people don't get a job going through human resources departments. You don't get a job putting together a resume. You certainly don't get a job going through one of the online portals. The way that you get a job is through your network. And the way that you figure out, what is it that I want to do next? I have talked to so many people who they want to stay engaged. They want to be doing something. And, but they're not sure what that is. What is it that I want to do next? Because remember, as you get older, you are aware the time is, is does get shorter. And so, you know, you, you, you really want to do something that provides some meaning, that provides some purpose. And your network is also a valuable asset for helping you think that through. Go to the people you know and ask them, what do you think I'd be good at? Re-meet with your college roommates. Sit down with them. What did I talk about when I was 19, 20 years ago? What did I say that I wanted to do? Do you remember? And so tap into your network both to help you figure out what it is you want to do and then tap into your network 
that once you kind of have an idea what you want to do, they're the ones that are going to get you that job. Chris, I could not agree with you more. The network is so much part of being an entrepreneur, being successful in just about any career path. And I think that's a good note to to close on. And it's a great pleasure uh, having a chance to speak with you. And I feel like now you're in my network and um, that's how it happens. We just keep reaching out and talking to each other. So so thanks for uh, talking with us today. Thank you very much. It was fun. Today, we've been talking with author, journalist, and commentator Chris Farrell about the grassroots unretirement movement and how many baby boomers are continuing to work or open their own businesses or find new ways to give back to the community. Today's career tip is that there are many ways to redefine your career. And the more you keep learning at any age, the easier it will be to have a portfolio of jobs and projects that support the life you want. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, tell your friends, and maybe even give us five stars. And tell us what you think. You can write to me directly at Beverly E. Jones at me.com. That's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y-E-J-O-N-E-S at M-E dot com.